4: everybody. It is Tuesday, October 24th, 2023, and it is indeed a heck of a morning. We are live on the MMA Fighting Twitter spaces. You can hear the show in its entirety shortly thereafter on the MMA Fighting Podcasting Network. Hello there, everybody. I am Mike Heck. Hope everyone had a wonderful weekend, having a great start to the week. A wonderful start to the week for Islam Makachev right now, the undisputed Lightweight champion of the world, just obliterates Alexander Volkanovsky with a nasty head kick, gets the job done in round one. He got his closure. There are no more questions. It's all about Islam Makachev. and he's the guy right now. He is the guy. He is MMA Fighting's number one pound-for-pound fighter. He is not the UFC's number one pound-for-pound fighter, but he is MMA Fighting's number one pound-for-pound fighter after that performance, that fight. Was not really all that competitive. Volk tried his hardest, but I think once once Islam kneed him in the face, once he had that sort of Anderson Silva-esque plum, the clinch going on and started delivering those knees, the whole fight changed. And then the kick heard around the world that apparently New York Rick saw before anybody else did because he ruined the finish for us during the watch party. But we love New York Rick Nonetheless, Makachev lands a big head kick. It just goes bananas with the ground and pound. You can see Volk's eyes rolling in the back of his head. And then just the iconic image of Volk down against the fence. Everybody attending to him and Islam Makachev cold as ice, doing the shush. Absolutely incredible performance from Islam Makachev. And it's going to be interesting to see where he goes next. Could be Charles Oliveira. Could be Justin Gaethje. I'm down for either. If I had my choice, it would be Justin Gaethje because it's fresh, it's new, we haven't seen it before. But if they give it to Charles Oliveira, I ain't going to complain about it. But hell of a day for Islam Makachev on Saturday in Abu Dhabi. Hamza Chamayef leaves Abu Dhabi with a victory, but he also leaves the MMA community with more questions than answers following his 15 minute decision win over Kamar Usman. Majority decision. I scored a 29-27 for Shamayev, 10-8 first round, Usman won round two. I thought Shamayev ekes out round three, but if you want to come on here and make a case for Usman winning round three and scoring it a draw like one of the judges did, you're not going to get a whole hell of a lot of discourse defense coming from me because it was a close third round. It was a very, very close third round. If Shamayev doesn't land that takedown, Usman is winning that round and squeaking out a draw. But Usman deserves a lot of credit for the way he performed. Hamza Shamayev says he broke his hand, maybe his wrist, early in that fight. So that maybe slowed him down a little bit after just a superhuman first round. But kudos to Usman. Ku- kudos to Shamayev for digging deep. And kudos to Hamzad Shamayev for the post-fight speech afterwards. That was really good stuff. Very positive stuff coming out of his mouth. Normally he just goes ballistic and starts saying he's going to smash everybody. Not this time. This was the complete opposite of the post-fight speech we heard after the Kevin Holland victory. So Hamza Chemaev on track in his new weight class of 185 pounds, not new for the UFC, but new ish. He's essentially going to be a full-time middleweight now. And he comes in with the win. And then we go to 205, we go to the feature bout, Magomed Ankle Alive, Johnny Walker ends with the quote-unquote accidental illegal knee. Scored a no contest or ruled a no contest. Our friend the doctor, Dr. Shitbag, comes in and just asks Johnny a question. Johnny does Johnny things in response. Ends the fight. Almost a freaking melee in the center of the cage. Dana White has to come in and, and make sure cooler heads prevail but it ends in an O-contest. If that was a DQ, I would not have been upset about it because at this point, like, what constitutes a DQ at this point? Like, really. The doctor was bad. The referees, for the most part, were pretty bad on Saturday. It was just a weird card altogether, but still really good up the top. Ikram Alaskarov is a bad, bad dude. Just a, just destroys a poor Worley Alves with the flying knee. That guy's gonna be a problem. I want to see him fight Robert Whitaker next. I don't think that fight happens, but that's the fight I want to see. Test that dude. Let's see what he's. Let's see what he's got. I think he's. I think he's one of the five best middleweights in the world right now. I really do. So let's see what he can do. Sayyid Magomedov punched a, a quick clock, seventy-three seconds. Gets the guillotine over Muin Gafarov. Nicely done, Muhammad Bajev. Who I didn't even realize. Until hours later, maybe it was, might it, have might it even been Sunday, that he was down two rounds on two of the judges' scorecards to Tim Elliott before getting that arm triangle in the third round. Another submission win. Solid performance. Be interesting where Mihayev goes. You got patient Trevor Peak. We got the groin kick heard around the world. That has still been just this big dispute on social media. Should it have been... A no contest should it have been a TKO for Javid Basharat. But all I know is that Victor Henry, who is one of the toughest dudes you will ever see at 135 pounds, was screaming in agony. And the doctor basically told him, You know what? You didn't get hit in the balls. You shouldn't be essentially feeling the pain you're feeling because you didn't get kicked in the balls. That guy sucks, the doctor. And now it's a whole thing with Victor Henry and Josh Barnett and Javid Basharat and Dewey Cooper going back and forth on social media. Can't handle this shit. Can't handle this shit. But hopefully Victor Henry is okay. Guess the pills are going to be useful moving forward as, as he so eloquently put it on social media, but that's tough. Especially of, that was one of the fights we were looking forward to. SD Dumas gets a decision win. Not a fight we're going to go back and watch again. Mike Breeden is a friggin' psychopath. Mahum, Muhammad Naimov proves the theory. Just cheat your ass off and you'll win. And that's what happened. Victoria Dudakova Wins a unanimous decision. She was one of the higher, bigger betting favorites. I had a bunch of parlays going on, and she was she was a part of almost all of them. So I kind of swept that one out a little bit, but she gets a win. I kind of feel like Jin Yu Fry might not be long for this UFC world any longer. And then we got the debut of Shara Bullet against Bruno Silva, and it was a fun fight, and Shara did Shara things. But Bruno Silva exposed some holes in his game. He's going to have to shore up that defensive wrestling He's gonna have to get back, learn how to get back to his feet. It's gonna have to be better with his takedown defense, or it's this is a division you are just not gonna do very well in. You're not gonna climb the ranks very quickly if you can't shore that part of your game up. But that dude is incredibly fun to watch, and he gets the win in his UFC debut against Bruno Silva to kick off UFC 294. So a lot going on there. We obviously have no UFC this weekend, but we have. The Tyson Fury, Francis, Ngannou fights going on, going down on Saturday. So that should be interesting and weird and wild and wacky and all those other adjectives that will describe that particular matchup. And then the UFC is in Sao Paulo next week for the Jilton Almeida, Derek Lewis card. And then it is onwards and upwards to UFC 295 John Jones versus Stipe Miacic, Yuri Prahashka versus Alex Pereira, two title fights. And then it's just—we're we're just off to the races from from this point on. So, uh, let's get into this thing. We're going to go for about thirty to forty minutes here. But let's see what you all have to say. We will begin with Tom Morell. Tom, go ahead. Maximus, Maximus, for me,
1: the real winner uh, on the weekend was Osman. You know. I think he surprised so many people, and you think an Usman with a full training camp could well have had a a real shout of winning that fight, but whether he does or doesn't get the chance to fight uh, uh, Hamza again, my question is twofolded. Has Usman created a blueprint on how to beat Shamayev when it comes to body type? Because sometimes maybe Hamza might be too tall for his tactics that he employs. So has Usman created a blueprint in terms of body type and tactics against hands uh, uh, Hamza, question one and question two, who's next for Usman in the division, Mike, in your opinion?
4: Hmm. Has he created a blueprint? I don't know if it's like a blueprint per se, but, and I think we kind of real, I kind of, I think, we sort of learned something from the Gilbert Burns fight as well, that you just got to, the big thing with Hamzat is, and it was kind of the same. It's not exactly the same as Alexander Romanov, right? Because his Romanov's drop from round one on is just so bad. But Romanov went into the UFC and he was just wrecking dudes in the first round, like just killing them. And then you have guys like Marching Tibora who can survive the storm, and goes on to win the fight. And I, it's this is again, this is not exactly the same, but Gilbert Burns had a really tough first round, but survived it and then turned it on, made things really, really competitive, and almost won the fight. There were still people I talked to who feel like Gilbert Burns won that fight. So I don't know if it's a. I think it's pretty clear at this point, and I know Sh- and Shamayev can someone improved that i guess but i don't know if that sort of takes away what makes him great you just gotta weather a storm if you can weather that first round storm you have a chance to beat this guy you got a shot and i think that's what usman sort of proved burns (laughs) proved it as well and to me while usman was and and I, i would guess i would agree usman is the biggest winner i feel like his stock rose the most on saturday Maybe Izzel makachev I would say Izzel is probably the, the real winner, but Usman's right there. He created a lot more questions about Hamza Chamaev. And I got to tell you, maybe the second or third biggest winner on Saturday is a guy who didn't fight. It was Drikas Duplessis. Drikas Duplessis probably went in watching that fight as it began, it was like, oh, man, I have to watch these two guys fight, and then the winner of this fight is going to go on and fight for the title that I should be fighting for. I don't think that's the case anymore. I think Drickus, if his best friend is availability, and the UFC calls and says, hey, we need you guys to fight in January or February or whenever, his answer better be yes. And if it is, he's getting, a ti- he's getting the next title shot. It won't be Hamzat. Because we don't know what Hamzat's injury is going to be. He's going to be out for a hot minute, it appears, if he broke his hand or he broke his wrist. And his Duplassi might actually have come out as one of the three big winners on Saturday as well. So I would book the DDP fight. But I to—I have to say, Sean Strickland versus Hamzat Shemaev is way more interesting today than it was on Friday. Because if Strickland... Strickland's tough, very durable, very, very tough to finish. If Hamza does that to Strickland and Strickland can survive round one and then Strickland gets four more rounds to try to turn the tide, that is a really compelling fight now. At first, I was like, man, Hamza's going to beat Usman and then he's going to go just destroy Sean Strickland. And I don't know if that's the case anymore. am not saying Hamza wouldn't w- win that fight because he could just go out and ice... There's a chance he could go on and ice. Thompson could just ice Strickland in the first round. But if he can't, if Strickland shows that medal that he shows all the time, that is a really interesting fight. So, where Usman goes, I don't know. He called out DDP. I don't think he's getting that fight, although he could get a big one. It's going to be really interesting to see where he goes. Does he stay at 185? Does he go back to 170? On on to the next one. I went with the Shafcott Wonderboy winner. Those guys are fighting at two ninety six. Maybe he fights Robert Whitaker. I'd be cool with that too. I don't know what they're going to do with Usman, but he's in good. He's in a good spot. He's in a good spot. He didn't really lose
3: a whole lot in that fight. Riley, go ahead. So I was just wondering about, uh, Volk saying he still wants to fight in January. Uh, one, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I would assume you're probably not for that. Um, for one, I'm definitely not. I feel like before any title fight, um, when a champion has defended their belt for a long time, the, uh, opponent, they, people always hype up the opponent. They're like, this guy is the guy to beat so-and-so, um, But I feel like Teporia probably is the most difficult person uh, Volk has had to face. So I feel like taking that fight right after getting knocked out is not a great idea. Um, And then I feel like if Max and Volk fight, honestly, I feel like Teporia might just grapple the shit out of him. Uh, I think he might just be too strong. Um, Yeah, what are your thoughts? Thanks, Mike. Have, Have a heck of a morning.
4: Yeah, I mean, dude, that that post-fight scrum with Volk was, was something else. It really was. That was just raw and real, and you, I think you got to know who Volkanovsky was more in that 12 to 15 minutes than maybe you, we ever have. And before I came to MMA fighting, I was talking to, like, and I still try to talk to the prospects and the up-and-comers as much as I possibly can, but my role is so different now with all the content that I'm that I'm trying to be a part of and, and all the different things that I'm doing that I don't get to talk to a lot of the prospects as much as, as I used to, a lot of the regional guys. And what Volk said is something that these guys have been telling me for years. Like guys like Jay Perrin. Jay Perrin is like a perfect example. He's one of the guys that taught me When it comes to this weird fight sport that if you don't have a date on the calendar circled in terms of a goal and a fight and when things are going to happen for you, you kind of struggle. You kind of struggle. You almost feel like in a certain respect, you have no purpose as a fighter. And that's just – that's a feeling you don't really want to feel. And Volk being one of the three best fighters on the planet right now and a reigning champion – feels that way a lot. And you would think when you get to the UFC and you find success and you win world titles and all that, it's not really like that, but Volk's just a different cat. And that was... That was really interesting to watch. But to your point, no. I do not want to see him fight Ilya Teporia in January. I'm not saying I don't want to see him fight Ilya Teporia. I just don't want to see him fight Iliad in January. That fight, to me... Is inc- is much more interesting now, much like Hamza Shamaya versus Sean Strickland would have been. This fight between Volkanovski and Taporia is much more interesting, as well, because of what happened on Saturday. I would still pick Volk to win, but it is a different fight. It is clear Volk is is turning the corner. He's rounding the bend. He's on the eleventh or twelfth hole right now which isn't a bad thing. He's still going to be very good on the 12th hole and moving on. But this is, he's not in the 7th hole anymore. He's, he's, he's on the back nine. He's on the back nine. 12 days dose. none of that matters. He's on the back nine. But he's still incredibly good. But that fight can't happen in January. I don't want to see it. And if Volk's team is not going to be the ones to defend him and watch out for him. And look, It's at the end of the day, these guys work for the fighters. So if they're tra- they they want to talk to him and they say, hey, we don't want you to fight, it's ultimately Volk's decision. He's a man. But I kind of hope the UFC in this position says, look, man, we get to save you from yourself. Do it at UFC 300. Do it in March. Do it some other time. January is just too soon after you got absolutely obliterated like that. No, I don't want to see it in January. I do want to see that fight. I just don't want to see it in January. If I'm the UFC, I am getting Sean Strickland and Drickus Duplassi on the phone, and I am putting that fight together for January. That's the one I want to see. Strickland DDP for the middleweight title. That's how you open the year. And then we could do, if, if that's not enough, do the Giuliana Pena Raquel Pennington fight on top of that? That could be the co-main event. You get two title fights for Durano to kick off the year. Plus, you get Strickland defending his title. I think that's the way you go, and you just hold off on Volkanovski Taporia. And if Taporia wants to fight, he doesn't want. I, I don't see why Taporia wouldn't want to wait another two months to fight Volk or three months to fight for the belt. But that's how the sport works. Yeah, concerning. Interesting, fascinating, but concerning. Hearing Volk talk like that, and I really hope he doesn't fight Tepori in January. But you know how Volk is; he probably is like, "Well, none, no one believes in me. Everyone thinks I'm di-. no." It's not that at all. It's we care about the guy. His fastball; he, he's not throwing ninety eight anymore. Still very good, but. We might only have like four or five Volk fights left at this point. He ate twenty nine. He's getting up there. So it's a it's just it's just tough. It's weird to say it as not a fighter, because as I said on the post fight show, he's not in the prime of his athletic career, but he is in the prime of his prize fighting career because he's now making like really good money. He makes the money every fighter wants to make. And he wants to make it now. And he wants to make it as many times as he can, over and over and over again. But you got to save the band for himself.
0: The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more.
1: and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.
5: CV, go ahead. Hey, Mike. Heck of a morning. Um, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to bring down the vibes here, but um, do you think uh, 294 should have been given the 151 treatment and should have been just, like, <laughs> scrapped altogether? Um, not, like, I'm not, like, obviously not because, you know, the UFC is trying to make money, but, like, I mean, the main event was, uh, you know, like it's supposed to be the Oliveira rematch, but, you know, we had to get the Volk um, short notice fight. And man, like it kind of ruined the first fight between him and Islam for me, just because, you know, it was just like a first round KO. And like this matchup could have like really marinated, like maybe for a year or two. Um, The co-main event um, wasn't like an amazing fight or whatever, but it was like intriguing in a sense that, Usman was like, like kind of competitive against against Hamzat, and like that would have been a nice main event, even though like um, they weren't really like planning to match those two up uh, in a fight. And like uh, I mean, the, like the rest of the card too, man. Like the horrible um, that fucking doctor. <laughs> <laughs> um, plus we got all like the the staff infection uh, nonsense. Like I don't know. I'm kind of like rambling on here, but like. Yeah. You, what are your thoughts?
4: No, they shouldn't. No, you can't scrap it. It's a. I mean, they have a they have a business deal with with the Abu Dhabi government, so they, you can't scrap it. You have to do it. So, but I understand you're from. Like, if this is a Vegas card, but I I still think this all would have played out the same. Let's just say vote like after watching that, and I understand like. I understand you want to play the 12 days notice and all that stuff. And yes, did it factor into it? Sure. In some respects it did, but you kind of saw Islam in the octagon as Bruce Buffer is introing him. And I had that feeling. I I, I didn't say it per se, but even at the watch where I'm like, man, I'm not an armchair psychologist, but mock looks ready to go. And he looks in incredible shape. It almost seemed to me like on that, it was just one of those days for Islam where, I don't care who you are and how much how much preparation you had. He was going to kill somebody on Saturday. He was going to run them over. And I don't know if that... You could have given Volk six months to fight that version of Makachev. And I don't know if that fight goes a lot, hell of a lot differently. So in a way, like once those two guys fight again, it would somewhat ruin the first fight anyways. Because Makachev is going to make those adjustments and... Makachev's the better fighter. He's the younger, hungrier, just better fighter right now. And I think a lot of people, and I've talked about this a lot, have looked at the first fight, which is a fight of the year contender sh- for sure, but I think a lot of people also looked at that fight through rose-colored glasses. I, ne- I understand why people were like, yeah, Volk was really competitive, but the people that kept saying like, oh, Volk got robbed on in February, it's just not true. It's just not true. There's not... There has not been one time I watched that fight where I was like, oh man, Volk got screwed. He should have won that fight. Is on one. There was no ifs, ands, or buts about it, in my opinion. And then the more I've watched it, the more I've realized he could have won four. Like Bokachev didn't have his wasn't on his best and probably won four rounds. Like you can make a case he won four rounds there. So no, you can't scrap it. But we would have liked to have seen a more competitive fight, sure. But Islam's just that good right now. He's just that good. The co-main event was what it was. The doctor was an idiot. But that, that the same thing would have happened. We would have had the same result in those two fights with the damn doctor. No matter who was fighting on that card. If we got makachev Oliveira, and we got Hamza Costa, that doctor still would have been an idiot on those two fights that had nothing to do with those other two fights. So it was a weird one for sure, but to say cancel it, no, you can't do that. The hype heading in, everyone was so fired up for the changes. There were so many people who said, this card's way better than it was with the other two fights. And I never really bought into that. I thought the main event was somewhat more intriguing. The co-main event was intriguing, but I wanted to see the cost of fight because I wanted to Like, how much more interesting... Do you think the Costa fight would have been if the same thing happened? Like Hamza just runs Costa over in the first round, but Costa survives. The bigger, stronger dude going on in rounds two and three. It's interesting. Costa's a little more reckless, and that was when Usman was at his best. Usman was getting having his most success when he was getting after it. When he was getting a little wild in there, when he was pushing the pace. Yeah, he was doing okay when he was jabbing. He was landing the jabs, but his mo- the most success he had in that fight was when he just went forward and threw a bunch of punches. I think Costa would have been a little more balls to the wall there, and that's why I thought that fight was a little more interesting. But kudos to Usman again for doing what he did. Just a weird one. Like all, it's just all of it was just so weird. All of it was just so weird. But no, you couldn't cancel it. Couldn't scrap it. Couldn't 151
2: it. Go ahead, 4Core Sports. How are you? Yeah, I got you. All right, cool. So I wanted to ask, um, it, you know, Islam stopped what's it called folk in I think it was under half a round. But I feel like that was the only way that, you know, the naysayers would have stopped talking about Islam because I felt like if he would have rolled out a decision, I feel like there would have been questions about, you know, can he fight somebody you know, of a top, uh, a top caliber at, at lightweight, felt like his legacy would have been, you know, questioned just because, you know, two title defenses against the featherweight and twelve days' notice if he wasn't going to be able to um, get out um, Volkanovski early, you know, people were going to be looking at, him, you know, with question marks. But I felt that the way that he knocked him out, shut a lot of that stuff off. I was really intrigued on the Olivera fight. I think Gaethje does deserve the the next uh, title shot. I just wonder where Olivera stands, and uh, I really do believe that Hamza would would have would have finished um Costa in round one. I think Costa, you know, doesn't have really good takedown defense, and I feel like he would have. I think he would have been, you know, um ground pounded out um uh, by Hamza, and I don't think he would have been able to survive um the ending of round one, if that fight actually would have gone as originally um, expected. All right. That's all I got to say. I disagree with you there. There's a very rare world
4: where Paulo Costa would have survived that first round. Paulo's bet. Like who, like who has run over, like Israel Adesanya ran over Paulo Costa, but like, other than that, like who is just dumb trucked Paulo Costa. Who has gone out there and just run over Paulo Costa? Nobody. Marvin Vittori, like, Marvin Vittoried him. And just that weird card in 2021 where Costa's like, nah, I don't really give a shit. I'm not going to make weight. We're going to do it at 205. All that weirdness. is he killed him. But other than that, like, who has done that to Paulo Costa? Paulo is a very tough, durable guy. I know Luke Rockhold is not the Luke Rockhold who won the UFC middleweight title and was the strike force champion and all that. But Luke Rockhold got Paulo Costa in some really tough spots. And Luke Rockhold is one of the best of all time with top position grappling and inflicting damage. Like normally when, Paul, when Luke Rockhold gets you in a, in full mount, he kills you. He kills everybody. That's what made him so good. That's what made him the best middleweight in the world at one time. And I know he was on the back nine. But Paul was able to survive all that. I don't know. Could could it have happened sure. But Paulo's not like a scrub on the ground. Could Shuma, like Shumayev's best chance to get him out in the first round to me was a knockout. Scramble fest on the ground. Like I actually think Costa would have done similar if not better. Than Usman. That's and that's why I like that fight so much. I think people were just vastly underrating Paulo Costa. And he was just a bigger, stronger dude. Like, would he be able to control a bigger, stronger Paulo Costa? Like Usman was in good shape, but he's a big dude. But Costa would have been like right around the same size and stature as Shemayev, if not bigger. That's why I wanted to see that fight. So I, I don't necessarily agree with you in that in that aspect so and then yes I do agree with the other thing Islam to me I, I don't think he look if Islam beat Volk cool like you it, I wouldn't have, wouldn't have been a 12 days dose would have been well it's so impressive and I understood the narrative heading into the fight that and I understood sort of the what could have been in the aftermath of the fight if Makachev goes out in 4946 is Volk well, Islam couldn't finish a featherweight coming in on 12 days notice. That would have been the reaction from a vast majority of the MMA community. Not everybody, but you know who I'm talking about. There are people out there who would have been like, eh, not a great performance from Islam. It was boring, yada, yada, yada. And if Volk had beat Islam, then Islam's cooked. So it was kind of lose-lose in a lot of ways for Islam. Unless he did what he did on Saturday. Just annihilating Volkanovsky. Now you can't say you can't say a word about it. He went out there and blasted Volkanovsky. It was, it was so impressive. It was so impressive. And there are people still out there who throw out the excuse, 12 days, notice, yada yada, yada. You can't. You can't throw out the excuse. Volk is a grown man. He is a grown adult. Who could have said no? He said yes. He was giddy about that fight. Felt he was ready. And then he got annihilated by the best fighter in the world right now. He is the best fighter in the world right now, in my opinion, is Amakchev So, but yes, in the overall grand scheme, trying to please everybody, which you can't. This this is the only way you could please most people. Is by going out there and just killing them in the first round. That's exactly what he did. So, as good as it can get for Almakchev. Cole go ahead.
5: Morning Mike. <clears throat> Morning. I appreciate you shouting me out on the preview show and on the fucking watch party. That was fucking awesome seeing that. So it's a Great question. I mean, it's a great question. So the question is like did the people win on Saturday night who we needed to win for that the top 4 or top or four of the top 20 to be a thing. I think so. What do you think?
4: I think, I think we're closer than we were heading in. So if you guys aren't – like if you don't know what we're talking about, the question was that Cole presented last week after talking to a buddy of his was are we going to look back at UFC 294 as the night or the card where the four fighters in the top two fights will be top 20 all-timers in the history of the UFC? And it's a really interesting question because two of the guys are there. I think Volkanovsky and Usin are already top 20 guys. Makachev was really close and Shemayev not there yet, but could get there. I think this, I think Makachev is there now. Like I think there's a very I think you can make a case Makachev is top 20. Not he ain't gonna be for everybody, but for me, I think I could talk myself into it. He beats Justin Gaethje. It's clear as day. Clear as day to me. Hamzat, I don't think he, I don't think he lost anything, but I don't think he gained anything. I think he's just exactly where he is, where he was heading in. We just we have more questions about Hamzat now than we did heading in, and that's never a good thing in this conversation. So, I think the right people won to like make this question more a little more interesting. I think Islam made a better case to getting into that conversation. I don't know if he's on everybody's list, but he's certainly right there. He's behind the velvet rope, so to speak, not too far behind. Shemaev, as of right now, he's going to be waiting behind the velvet rope for a little while. He may not even get into the club tonight, but not saying he can't get there. That's just where he is right now. Potential-wise, he is going to be there, but... We just still got all those questions that have not been answered yet. And that's a problem with this conversation. So I would say we went from two to two and a half, maybe three. But Shemayev didn't improve at all. But he's still the most interesting fighter in the UFC right now. Because we don't know how good he is. We don't know anything about him in terms of his greatness potential. But he still finds ways to win. So I'm impressed, and I know there's a lot of talk about being impressed with Usman on this show, and there should be. I'm also impressed with Shemayev. If he broke his hand and broke his wrist in the first round, if it's as bad as he says it is, and still dug deep in round three and found a way to win, like you should he deserves a lot of credit for that. That's championship medal right there. That's championship medal. And he did the same in the Gilbert Burns fight. And I took a lot more positives from the Gilbert Burns fight than most. This one, I understand why some people don't take those same things away. But at the end of the day, as Shaheen al-Shadi said, the wise wordsmith in his takeaways piece on Sunday, Hamza Shemaev checked off the most important box. And that was winning the fight. And he essentially did it with one hand and one wrist against the, the second greatest welterweight of all time. That's pretty damn impressive. But he didn't gain a lot in the top 20 greatness thing, if that makes sense. But still, he's very impressive.
6: Go ahead, Adelion. I'm doing good. You? So uh, I just want to ask two things. I'll start off with this one. Um, if Islam and GHP face other in the future, uh, what is your prediction for the fight? And how is he playing? And I just want to talk about Hamza very briefly, quickly. Um, you know, just a few things. Firstly, I'll start with his fighting style. Um, he's a very really good fighter. Overall, I think he's also shown a lot of improvements um, with this Usman fight. Um, you know, defensively, a little bit of head movement. I would definitely like to see him build on that more because I definitely fear that when he, if he ever faces people like Jarik and Adesanya, maybe some guys in light heavyweight or welterweight, if he ever does go back down, he needs to really learn how to uh, create a very interesting striking defense. And that leads to another point I want to make: be his stamina. I think. Based off truly what he, uh, according to his coaches, that he um, contracted COVID and affected his body some way. After that, I think he's lost um, whatever good stamina he was able to maintain. Because when I watched some of his old fights, most of them were first round ex, uh, first round finishes. But he did also um, he obviously knew how to maintain solid stamina management, not just over aggressively punch and all that. Um, But ever since he got COVID, it somehow seemed to have just made his cardio worse. And I also think it attributes to his um, cleft chin that he got from a childhood, which has definitely affected his breathing. Now, um, that's just my criticism criticism with his... um, I think some things he could work on. Yeah, definitely have an interesting defensive move set. One, to prevent any, you know, cardio issues. And two, he can, you know, counter or parry some you know, strikers um attacks. Um his ground and pound is really good but I've noticed ever since um his fight against uh Rice McKee or I think li Jing Liang his whenever when he tried to ground and pound Burns and even now Usman, I just feel like he's not been able to do it in such a very dominating way like he used to. Because when he first did it to John Phillips and, you know, Rise McKees and even um some of his early opponents back in the Brave CF days, he was very calculated, time and precise, and he always made sure to hit their face, hit their body, wherever, and it really got to them. But when I saw how... I mean, he did a good job against Usman, in my opinion, compared to Burns, but I noticed with both fights, he was just really rushing and That definitely affects his cardio. So if Hamza wants to win fights in the future, in my opinion, especially if he faces up the Drickers, Duplessis, who could probably count his wrestling, the Rob Whittakers, and if he manages to get them down, he needs to really... Be patient, punch, punch, time, process. Don't overload the cardio because wrestling takes a toll on the body. And we even saw that with the Kevin Holland fight, despite how well he did in that performance, he was tiring out. Joe Rogan pointed it out. So, you know, that's just my um, stance on that with Hamza. And I uh, I think also regarding where he's at at this stage of his career in terms of the perception view many fans have about him i believe in the same place that leon edward was many years ago when he was on that run prior to getting his title shot because i remember a lot of fans were saying positive things about leon oh, this guy's a very good striker very good on the jiu-jitsu but people also felt he was easy to beat. there was much more to be desired so i'm definitely curious to see where he goes next in his career and i would definitely like to know your thoughts on that thanks man have a great day
4: Thank you, sir. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Hop out, Absalaya. I don't know what – I can't – I can't – there we go. I got you. Okay. Look, he won, man. Like, again, he won and didn't have his best night. Far from it. And nobody in the history of the UFC – and probably will never see it again – somebody manhandle Kamar Usman like he did. Like, you have to be impressed with that. He looked like the best fighter we've ever seen for five minutes against one of the best fighters to ever step foot in the octagon. But, again, we have the injury. He's fighting with one hand. And despite all of that, and despite losing the second round, despite all of the momentum going the other way, he dug deep and found a way to win the fight. So I am incredibly impressed by that. Incredibly impressed. Now, is he... Did he have top-notch cardio? No. Did he need it? No. Because he still won. He still won the fight. So there's room for improvement, but still... That's to me makes him almost as scary now as he was heading into that fight because severely compromised, like momentum, not in his favor still finds a way to take down the best defensive takedown artist in the history of the sport and still managed to get him down and win the fight. Like, you can't teach that shit. You cannot teach that shit. There's obviously room for improvement, but you cannot teach what he did on Saturday. You can. And Usman deserves a lot of credit for hanging in there and all that. But yeah, we don't really know because he was – we don't know when the injury happened, all that. So I give him a little bit of a pass. This is still Kamar Usman. Like 12 days notice or not, that's still Kamar Usman he beat. And that was really impressive. Can he do the same to Sean Strickland? I don't know. And I feel like Usman left a lot. As, as impressed as people are with Usman, and, and they should be, I think Usman left a lot in there. I think if Usman was more aggressive, he might have even, even gone out and finished Hamza Shemaev. When he started to throw more, when he started to get a little more crazy, that's when he was doing his best work. I even said, like, in the build-up, like, Usman's best chance to win this fight, there are two things. One, if he gets taken down, stay off your back, because if Shamayev starts to posture up on him early in the first round, he's going to get killed down there. And Usman did a great job. Yeah, Usman. Shamayev had him had his back and had the hooks in and had the body triangle and all that. That's not the position Usman needed to avoid. The position he needed to avoid in that first round is him being on his back. And Kumar did a great job defensively and was able to survive. Did really well. But the other thing was Usman had to had lure Shamayev into a battle, into an absolute war on the feet. And while he was still winning and landing that jab and, and finding success on the feet, Usman was finding more success when he was throwing combinations, when he was getting a little more reckless, when he's throwing more than one punch. I just feel like Usman left. I think he's going to go out of that fight feeling, man, I could have done more. I could have done more. But still, 12 days notice, went in there and did the damn thing. So we'll see where he goes. I, I mean... Again, we don't know how long Shamayev's going to be out for. We don't know how bad the injury is. I feel like DDP should get the next title shot. Strickland DDP is still interesting to me. Strickland Shamayev is really interesting now. I think this is probably the best result. Because now who who is looked at as a wrecking ball, now people feel like, all right, maybe, maybe the right guy with the right style, can beat this guy. Like, if he fights Sean Strickland and he 10-8 Sean Strickland, which is very possible, but Strickland survives and gets back to his feet and we start round two, you're telling me that a lot of people out there from a betting perspective aren't going to go on to DraftKings and hit live odds betting on Sean Strickland? Bet they would. Bet they would. This is actually a really good result. The intrigue surrounding Shamayev is actually bigger. And there's more questions about the man. There's nothing wrong with that. But as Shaheen said, as I noted earlier, he checked off the most important box. He won the fight. And that's all that matters. He won. J. Mack. Mike, can you hear
7: me? I got you. Great. Uh, Yeah, so that was what one of the most bizarre cards I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. From from like the very beginning, it just seemed like it was going it was going like, uh, you yeah, know, crazy. I mean, like, you know, the, the referee. What, now what's the deal with the referee? Like, I, I just don't understand. He asked a question. He answered the question. It wasn't like he didn't answer it. He just said the desert. I mean, that's kind of like what Johnny Walker does. He's kind of a nutty guy, you know. Um, and then, and then it proceeds to be a disqualification. Or it wasn't a disqualification. So that's what I was going to ask you, actually, is why was it not a disqualification? I've seen, like, Peter Jan, for instance, when he threw the knee against um, Aljamain Sterling, it was called a disqualification because when you throw a knee to a downed opponent, it's obviously on purpose. So I was just wondering if you could explain why that wasn't a disqualification. And uh, have a great day. I appreciate it.
4: It definitely could have been a disqualification. It definitely could have been a disqualification. It depends on how you look at it. Depends on how you look at it. Because, like, when the knee was thrown at first, I'm like, ooh, I don't think he meant to do that. And then if you slow it down, you're like, eh, it's kind of hard to deny that. Like, maybe he just, I don't know. The Jan one is, like, so calculated. It's like, you can see Jan have, like, an internal conversation with himself where, like, he knows it's wrong, and he just says, fuck it, I'm going to throw it anyways. So, like, that was as clear cut of, like, a DQ knee as you'll ever see. This one was close, but I'm not, like, I didn't, even with all the replays, I'm like, yeah, I didn't think of it. Like, Jan, like, meant to knee Sterling in the face. I mean, let's let's be honest. He absolutely meant to knee in the face. He was just like, hmm, I shouldn't do this, but boom, I'm going to do it anyways, and he did it. Magomed's a little more split-second, but again, you want to make a case that it was a DQ, I, I don't hate you. I am mad at you. But it was deemed accidental. And you can't look at the Yandi from any angle at any point and deem that accidental. You just can't. So that was like the big difference. If it's deemed accidental, they look through the replays, the other officials agree, it's a no contest. That was the difference. Yanz is not accidental <laughs> at all. Like, you can make... I can make a video right now, just, like, a fun content video of, like, Jan having a 30-second conversation with himself, being like, man, maybe I shouldn't do this. I might lose my title. Oh, there's no way he's gonna get out of the fight. Well, if I land this knee, it's a good advantage. I'm already winning. Aljo knows he's, he's losing. And he's just like, but I shouldn't do it. And then the devil on his right shoulder's like, just throw the fucking knee. And he's like, okay, boom. And he throws the knee. It just... It was so blatant. This one... I'll listen to you, but I'm not like completely convinced it was blatant. But it's just a weird result. The fight just shouldn't have been stopped to begin with. That doctor screwed everything up. It's it's, it's silly. Um, I'm gonna look at the comments real quick. LP. Have you seen Dewey Cooper arguing with Josh Barnett about the low blow? Any thoughts? Um, I don't – like I, I I get where both guys are coming from. Like do, what's Dewey Cooper supposed to say? Is Dewey Cooper, as the coach of Fareed Bajret, supposed to say, yeah, Josh, you're right. It was illegal. Of course he's not going to say that. But that, that might be one of the most interesting strikes ever thrown in MMA because like the more you look at it, the more you think, you know what? It doesn't look illegal. It didn't look like it really landed illegally. But then you see, like, DC laid it out perfectly because like when they showed the replay during that moment, they showed Basharat's foot like on the upper thigh. And then DC is like, no, 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 no. Like he's like, rewind it like a half a second. And you saw the the toe, like three of the toes. In between the legs. And you could hear it too. Like you could just hear it. And Victor Henry, like I said before, is maybe the toughest, is one of the toughest guys. Dude has fought in Japan. He's fought for a fought everywhere. And he's fought some really good dudes. And no one's been able to get that man out of there. So you think he's faking it? Like that, the whole notion that he faked it, that he quit, I hate. I hate that whole thing. There's no way. There's no way that he just quit the way, like, just look at his face. There, there is no actor on earth who could portray that as painful as he did. So no, this whole notion that he quit and, and all that is, is fucking stupid. Um, but if you want to play the, was it legal? Was it illegal game? There's cases to be made, but sometimes, and I forget who said this. I don't know if it was like AK who said it or somebody else that I saw. Sometimes a legal shot can land in an illegal spot. And I just think it was bad luck, really. But to say, like, Victor didn't get kicked in the ding-ding and he was faking it and that he quit and was trying to find a way out of the fight, I don't agree with that at all. I don't agree with that at all. Let's just let these dudes run it back and we'll answer the questions for good. That's the beauty of the sport. All right, we'll take a few more and then I got to get going. Henderson, go ahead.
8: Hey, Mike. Good morning, man. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about Volk and just the booking of the fight. You know, Um, one complaint that I have about the UFC is that they don't seem to treat their like best fighters and champions in a way that actually helps them grow and be like long term popular. And what I mean by that is, They very rarely give champions, I wouldn't say a warm-up fight, but very winnable fights. I mean, I guess they did it with Izzy and Strickland, but it didn't work out for them. But with Volk, they had a very popular champion. He already had a fight booked. And I understand he wants to take it, but he's not really in charge. And all this did was throwing him in in short notice. He took damage, which is not good for him long-term. He also lost and got finished for the first time, which is also not good for him long-term and his popularity. And it didn't really help Islam that much. I mean, maybe among like the diehards... um, they could say, Oh, Islam finally finished Volk, but with the short notice and everything, it's not like that's really what's coming out of this. So I feel like it was just a lose-lose. And as much as I disagree with a lot of the things Jed says, I agree on this one. And I think that they should have just let it be Gamrot or found somebody else and used Volk in the normal way that was already succeeding. Because I'm worried as a Volk fan now, this might set him on a, some weird trajectory where either he's hurt or he misses the fight or they do an interim title instead. And it just seems totally unnecessary. So I just wanted to hear what you thought. Now that we've seen the results and we've seen how it played out, what you think of the booking and maybe if it would have been better just to go with Gamrot.
4: I, I, it's it's tough because it's so hard to answer these questions with the – like knowing the result, because if Volk went in there and finished Islam, like we're not having this conversation. We're thinking the booking is brilliant. Or maybe you're, maybe people say, "Oh, well, well you just screwed Islam because you're supposed to fight a guy that he stylistically could beat 95 times out of a hundred probably. So it's just tough to answer that question. Already knowing the result. Having said that, I do disagree with a couple of things. One I think Islam came out of there smelling like roses. And I think it's because of what happened. Him just icing Volk and lamping him the way that he did. This was the best thing that could have happened. MMA fighting's global rankings. He is the number one pound for pound fighter. The only rankings that matter. He is the pound for pound guy. That's it. There is no discussion. There is no controversy. He is the guy. He is the guy. And I just don't. You have to also put into perspective that this card in particular from an annual basis is treated differently than your typical T-Mobile arena pay-per-view. This is in Abu Dhabi. This is with a government that demands, essentially, and that is paying for stacked cards, They're paying for big cards. Like, look at every Abu Dhabi card. Look at the one-two punch. Look at the main cards. Typically, you get two title fights on these cards. You didn't get two title fights here. And, yeah, the matchmakers matter. And, yes, the UFC brings the cards to the table. But it would not shock me if the governing bodies have some sort of input on what works and what doesn't here. And I think at the same token, Gamrot because of the weirdness of the build and everything, I think you needed to have a designated backup. And I think to me, this is the UFC saying like, hey, we're going to put Volk on the posters and all that, but if we get a Holloway-Habib type of moment where Holloway can't make weight or Volk can't cut weight or something weird happens, we have a backup in place because Islam Makhachev has to fight on this card. He has to. And this is just to them like, hey, this, is, this guarantees that Islam fights because this is I'm going to say no to fighting Batush Gamrat on like 3 days notice. But should they have gone with Gamrat? I mean in hindsight sure, but do you really think like the do you really think that people would look at Islam differently if he 50 45 would Gamrat on 12 days notice? Would they be like eh? No. I I think he would come out looking worse, honestly in a lot of people's opinions. But instead, he knocked out the guy who many believe was the best fighter in the world and did it in brutal fashion. And for Islam, too, this is closure, man. That is, he doesn't have to think about Volk ever again. He doesn't have to think about that first fight. He doesn't have to answer any more questions about it. It's over. This, that kick to the face might be the most important moment of Islam Makhchev's career. Because now, you can't say anything anymore. It's over. There are no more conversations about that first fight. That first fight, it's like it never happened. And now, this dude is going to be probably the... I don't know if he's going to be the fighter of the year or not. I'm kind of with Jed where like it's hard to award the fighter of the year to the guy who beat the same guy twice. So I have questions there. But... He's definitely going to be in the fight of the year and probably one of the 15 best knockouts of the year. It's pretty good, pretty good year. Pretty good year for Islam Makhachev. But I think this is more important to him because now he doesn't have to listen to people being like, well, you lost the first fight, even though he didn't lose the first fight. This one, was, this one just ended everything. It's, it's a great thing for him. Now he can just move on with his life. Volk is out of his life forever. LP, go ahead.
8: Middleweights that you would choose over Alaskarov, um, and that's including Bellator, um, even Chimaev. I know Chimaev already has a win against him, but I personally would favor Alaskarov in the rematch. Just want to hear your thoughts. Thank you.
4: That, that guy could beat anybody right now. I really, I, I, I've been high on him from Jump Street. I thought I always said like him fighting on the Contender Series was just a waste of space. Like, what are we doing here? He was there are certain fighters you just like. Why? Why are they on the Contender Series? Like, I understand the Bo Nickel thing because people come back to the Bo Nickel thing, and like I get it. Like everyone, most people know who Bo Nickel is because he was because of the wrestling pedigree and all that. No one really knew who Ikram was except for hardcore MMA fans. And those fans were just like, why is Ikram Alaskara fighting on the Contender Series when he's probably a fifteen, a top 15 middleweight right now? And he just killed Warley Alves. And it's unfortunate we didn't get the Imovov fight, but we were talking about like some of the guys who may be the biggest winners on Saturday. I'll tell you who was probably like the fifth biggest winner on Saturday. It was Nasruddin Imovov because he did not have to fight that dude on Saturday. And now it's going to be real interesting to see where Iqram Alaskarif goes from here. Because are there going to be middleweights that are going to be like, yeah, I'll fight this dude? Or is Iqram Alaskarif going to be the next Marab or Umar Darmagamadov or guys of that nature where it's no one's going to want to fight him? He's going to be almost impossible to book? Curious. Curious. But. I, on onto the next one, I picked – I want Ikram versus Robert Whittaker. I want, to see, I want to see it right now. I don't want to wait for it. I think Ikram could – I'm not saying Ikram would beat him, but I think he would go in there, and that is a really interesting fight. I want to see him in there with the top five to seven guy right now. And I know Worley Alves took the fight on short notice, and he was like a plus 500 underdog. I get it. But that's how you're supposed to treat a plus 500 underdog in those situations. You go in there and you lamp him. He is incredibly talented, and he's going to be a problem. So give me the Whitaker fight. Let's go. Let's see it. I'm ready.
3: All right. Uh, Kat, go ahead, and then we will wrap up here. Take us home. Take us home. Oh, crap. I just got here. I thought you just got started. I don't know if any of what I said has been – what I'm about to say has been said. Good morning, everybody. First, I need some positive PR. Uh, Yes, I was wrong. Islam was amazing i'm a notorious islam hater but we got to give props where it's due uh i do agree with you mike i think it should be knockout of the year you know it, what he did to volkanovsky was insane i don't know if it's been spoken about but i really uh wanted to hear your thoughts on the sean strickland and um hamzat deal i just got here like i said but i feel like sean strickland is kind of tweaking um do you think he's just scared or do you think he actually has a point thank you mike have a nice day
4: no he's not scared He's not scared. Look, I told the story, like, shout out to Mark Rumundi who put out the whole, this is how we got here thing. But if you listen to this program, like, two weeks, like, after this fight was booked, if you listen to Heck of a Morning, I don't know if it was, it was Free For All Friday, last Friday, eight days before UFC 294. And I said, I had a story about how this all came together. And I told you the story. The first phone call that the UFC made about replacing Paulo Costa was to Sean Strickland. They said, Sean, why don't you defend your title against Hamza Chemaev on this card? And you want to know what Sean Strickland said? Fuck yeah, let's go. Of course, his team was like, what, what? what are you doing? No, 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 you're the champion now. You don't need to do any more favors. Take some time off, dude. Like you just won the belt a month ago. But, you know, Sean's like, yeah, I'll fight him. And his team's like, no, 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 no. You're the freaking champion. You just won the belt. Enjoy it for a hot minute. Let them come to you with, like, like, you don't have to do this anymore, is basically what they were saying. And Sean was like, fine. Cooler heads prevail. Sean wanted the fight on three weeks' notice, because that's when he got the call. He absolutely wanted it, and he said he wanted to do it, and his team talked him out of it. And then it was going to be air, We know about what happened there. And then Costa might have been able to go. And now Usman came in. So that's, that, that's how... There, Sean Strickland is not scared at all. And the next thing I'll say is, if I'm Sean Strickland, I'm doing everything in my power to fight that guy. To fight Hamza Shemayev next. That's the fight I want. I'm going all in on Shemayev. That's it. DDP is a really tough fight for him. But after seeing what just happened on Saturday, if you're Sean Strickland, you're going all in on the Shamaya fight. You, fight. you have a path to victory. And the path to victory is just survive five minutes. If, he, if Sean Strickland survives five minutes against Hamza Shamaya, and that's an, that's a, that's an if, because Hamza can get anybody out of there in round one. But if Sean Strickland can be savvy enough and defensive-minded enough to get to round two, then Sean Strickland has a very good chance to win that fight. That fight is so much more interesting to me now than it was heading in. Sean could beat Hamza Shemaev. He's got to get out of the first round, but if he can, he has a chance. And Sean is not wrong when it comes to, like, does he deserve the next title shot? No, he doesn't. Drickus Duplassi has deserved it all along. You go out there and you finish Bobby Knuckles the way that he did on a card like that, especially when everybody was not only one questioning the matchup, but two didn't think he had a chance in hell of doing it. He's the number one contender. But because he couldn't turn around on two months' notice to go to Australia and fight Israel Adesanya after fighting Bobby Knuckles, he's out of the title picture? Like, that is so stupid. That is so stupid. So I agree with Sean. I don't think Tomzad should get a title shot off that win. just do push it, even if he went out there and finished Usman. Like to me, he would have gotten it, but still, I don't think that's enough to jump DDP after what he did. But I also understand this is the UFC, and none of that matters. This is about putting butts in seats, which is why I've been saying maybe the third biggest winner on Saturday was DDP this is as good as it could be for DDP watching that fight, watching Shamayev squeak out a majority decision against a welterweight on 12 days notice. That's huge. That's huge. Now DDP's best friend is the schedule and availability because whenever that phone call comes, Hey, look, let's, and and let's just say it happens in January. Let's just say, look, Volk, we're not letting Volk fight in January. But we need a title fight in Toronto. DDP versus Sean Strickland. Let's go! It, it would be it is imperative that DDP says yes to that because they ain't gonna they ain't gonna let him skip another one. But yeah, I don't disagree with Sean. But if I am Sean, I want that fight. I want that fight right now. And we'll see how long Hamz that's going to be out for and the hand injury. Someone jumped in the comments and said that it happened in the first round when Usman sort of DDT'd himself to shake Hamzat loose. But, again, I, I also give Hamzat credit for the performance. Like, is it was it what he needed to solidify a title shot? Probably not. But he won. He won, and he was compromised. And he was losing the – the momentum was leaving his side altogether. But he dug deep in the third round – And he got the win with one hand against the second-greatest welterweight of all time. Pretty wild. Pretty wild. All right. Uh, Panda and Karthik, I see you. I'm screenshotting, but I have to go. I got to go. So thank you all very much. You are all great. Uh, And we'll be back on Thursday. And Panda and Karthik get to jump the, the line and get up front. But appreciate it. Uh, I am working on as well uh, editing up the first edition of Swing Rounds with Chris Weidman. Uh, So hopefully – I don't know if it's going to drop this week or next week, but I'm starting to put it all together. It's going to be sort of like a a teaser more than anything. Like it's going to be an episode. It's not just going to be like a three-minute video, but it's going to be – it will be lengthy to some extent, but it's not going to be like – what i'm going to do fully because i'm only one person and i can't i just basically needed somebody to film it um and then some other things that we're going to tweak out but it is still pretty funny shit uh i play absolutely horrifically and you guys will get to see that and hopefully this week maybe next week but i'll be working on that this week it's gonna be a busy one we're getting Ghana versus tyson fury that whole thing that we're just gonna to have to wait till it ends and uh there you go. So we'll see you guys Thursday, 10, 15 a.m. Eastern. Until then, have a great rest of your Tuesday and have a heck of a morning.